Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. On here sees the effects of the imminent IDFA changes in iOS 14 happening in real time. As a Forbes columnist, he has seen from close-up the changes in the mobile ad tech ecosystem over many, many years that have led us to this point. In our keynote chat organized by the Mobile Growth Summit, John shares his speculations about the reasons why Apple is executing such a huge shift in its IDFA policy come early 2021. What are the pressures and motivations at play here? In examining these reasons, we can perhaps predict the trends of big tech because Apple's actions will not stand alone. Google and Facebook are sure to not only react, but to also come up with their own policies. We talk about the future of privacy and how it collides with targeted marketing. And more importantly, where does ad tech go from here? To find out more, listen on. Deep dives IDFA. Um, this is our keynote chat. Um, how the topic is how Apple is disrupting mobile as we know it. Um, we have Shamanth Rao, founder and CEO of Rocketship Headquarters, um, and John Cotier, journalist, analyst, futurist at Forbes. Um, the description is from freemium to you are the product. Uh, products mobile is still an incredibly new industry that is built on advertising, but Apple just blew up the key login. The, into the ecosystem. Now, an $80 billion industry that influences trillions is in global spends is about to experience a hard fork. Um, I'll leave it to you guys, Shamantha John. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Evan. Uh, and thank you to the folks at MGS for hosting us today. Uh, John, definitely excited to speak with you because you've certainly written very extensively about the seismic changes that are afoot. Uh, definitely, I think, uh, yours, yours are the articles that I point a lot of people to to get cool. an overview of how things are. Good place to start, perhaps, would be with the basics. If, as you followed all of this unfold, why do you think Apple made this move and made this change to have IDFAs be opt-in? I think there's at least four reasons for that, Shamanth. Um, and, and one of them is the obvious and stated reason. That's privacy, right? I mean, uh, Apple has set uh, its position, its stake in the ground, and that we are the big tech company that is for privacy for users. So I think that is real. And I think that's important. And I think that, uh, that that encompasses a lot of different things. There's competitive positioning there. There's strategy there. There's also liability. Um, so So that's one big reason. I think a second reason is that uh, deep down, culturally, Apple is not a big fan of ads and especially ad tech. 
Uh, I, I recently tweeted out what I thought Apple was thinking, you know, some of the things behind them. And two of the things I put in there were, you know, ads are, are I think Apple thinks they're bad for user experience and ad tech is at best negative, at worst dangerous. So I have a friend with a major publisher who DM'd me after that and said, it's off the record, so I can't say the name or the publisher, but said, that's absolutely correct. Apple, top exec, Apple execs have told him exactly that. So I think those are two of the reasons. A third, uh, there's some political reasons for it. Uh, There's a fourth, there's some monetary reasons. We're going to get into both of those a little bit later as we go through this presentation. But the biggest by far is privacy. Yeah. And just speaking of privacy itself, what might be some of the implications of having IDFAs be readily accessible? What well, might be some of the things somebody could do, let's just say if they had access to it, which at this point in time, a lot of people do, right? Yes, yeah. yes. A lot of people have a lot of IDFAs. And obviously, yeah. it, it's a better identifier than used to exist, right? The UDID was a hard-coded device identifier, never changed. Excellent for tracking, <laughs> excellent for monitoring, all those other things. The IDFA can change, you can opt out of it. So it's a better identifier for advertising. It's an Apple-created identifier but it still can be dangerous. So in 2015, the FBI actually went on to a plane on the tarmac and arrested a Chinese national. He was about to take off for China and he had a thumb drive in his possession that was full of IDFAs. He had previously worked for Machine Zone and quit like days earlier. So there's lots of possibilities here. And of course, this was before the whole China-US massive blow up, Cold War, economic war, all the things that are going on right now. But there's a lot of things that can be going on here. One, there's a commercial motive, right? Uh, if you have all these IDFAs, well, you might know who installed what game, uh, who installed which apps, and that might give you some insight into what other apps I might be interested in. So that could be useful. Um, and, and secondly, also in the commercial motive space, uh, you might have an idea who's, wh- who's a whale right? Who's a big spender in an app? So that can be super, super useful, obviously. There's, there's potentially some more serious motives. I mean, uh, commercial motives can be very, very serious, but there's some, some political and social motives as well. Which people have, which have installed certain apps? Uh, do you know their political leanings from those apps? Can you influence them with ads uh, and further apps in the, in, in the future? So you come to a potential kind of a Cambridge Analytica type scenario that we saw with Facebook in previous years. And then finally, you know, maybe the darkest of all, uh, you've got a potential espionage motive, right? People have installed certain apps. Maybe it's Tinder. Maybe it's Grindr. Maybe you have the ability to extort them. Maybe you have the ability to expose them or something like that in some way that would be uncomfortable for them. And then you can, you can do something with that and you can exert some sort of power with that. Another way, of course, is, is trackability, right? And, and the New York Times showed us, I believe it was in December 2019, how easy it is to track a member of the Secret Service who is uh, presumably traveling along with the president going to various areas in Florida where you know, the, the Winter White House is, uh, the White House, other places like that, New York City. And, and so you can actually track people really, really closely. And, and you may not want to do that for you know, me or you or somebody else, just an average person, but you may want to do that for somebody who is part of an entourage or uh, somebody who's super famous or something like that. So there's, there's, there, there's some power in misuse of IDFAs. Certainly. And that power isn't immediately obvious to the vast majority of marketers who are looking at this decision uh, from their own perspective. And I would also say there's an Apple ad that I think somewhat clearly portrays some of the ways in which private data can be misused. 
right? And they're like, look, somebody looked at, looked for divorce attorneys five times yesterday. They would not want a targeted ad when they're hanging out with their wife and looking at their next browser. <laughs> so that's, you know, there are things that people would prefer to have kept private. And that can certainly be compromised by uh, IDFAs. So just uh, privacy. The, and you did touch upon other motives that Apple has. So financially and strategically, what might be some of the things that uh, some of, what might be some reasons why Apple is pursuing this uh, course of action? Yeah. So on the strategic side, I mean, Apple is positioning itself as the privacy focused big tech company, right? You saw the big ad, you mentioned that big privacy ad and Apple's always been more sort of touchy feely on the little guy's side. The funny thing is that Apple had that positioning as it was this beleaguered company that was, you know, failing and flailing and all those other things. Now it's a giant corporation. It's a global corporation. One of the largest, if not the very largest in terms of market capitalization on the planet, right? And Apple is trying very hard. Uh, And I'm not saying that this is all posturing or positioning, but Apple is trying very hard to be the big tech company that is on the little guy's side, on on the side of privacy, and they're doing a lot around that. On the finance side, you know, which is equally important to, to maybe not equally, but it's also important to Apple, I think, is what's bad for my enemy is good for me. So if you look at big tech and you look at Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, a few others, Microsoft, two to three of those are significantly ad-based, right? Um, Google is essentially an ad network. Facebook is essentially an ad network. They both do many more things. But if you look at where their money comes from, that is what it, that's where it comes from. That's what they are. Anything that weakens them, anything that makes advertising less uh, successful, less lucrative, less obvious as a business uh, monetization strategy is, is potentially good for Apple because all the big tech companies are cooperators. They're frenemies, right? They're working together. They're working against each other. And and anything that weakens your enemies uh, strengthens you at that level. Yeah. And would you say that's the case, even though Apple has no share of the ad market at this point of time? Yes, absolutely. Because I mean, obviously Apple has iAd or Apple ads or Apple search ads, however you want to term it, but it, that's a rounding error right now. And, yeah. and I'm not saying yeah. it will stay that way. We've seen some evidence of Apple moving its ad network outside of app, the app store. Uh, we know that Apple is using Apple news um, and, and some other of its owned apps, stocks and others uh, searches on the app store uh, to do, to target ads for that. Uh, and, and, and they could expand beyond, but I, I do not see advertising in any near or short-term future becoming significant to Apple as a global business. Certainly, certainly. So it sounds like Apple's stance is one of antagonism toward ad-supported business. As you mentioned earlier on in this conversation, they don't like ad tech at all. And uh, it sounds like that's part of the motivation for this. You know, when it comes to privacy, this essentially GDPR, the CCPA, does Apple's policy that it's proposing rolling out with iOS 14, does that conflict with or result in any sort of confusion when you look at different jurisdictions or what's the interplay between these different policies in different areas of the world? 
Yeah, it's challenging. It's really difficult. And I think that uh, apples can conflict with other ones. Look, we're all affected by GDPR, whether we're in Europe or not, right? We, we all have these uh, accept cookies or not accept cookies, other things like that every time on the web. I mean, there's there's a browser extension in Chrome that can just either accept them all or deny them all. <laughs> I wish there was something for Safari, which I use a little bit more frequently uh, for that, right? So that's a, that's a pain in the butt. But we're also impacted by California's privacy laws. And now we've got Apple's iOS 1490 FA opt-in, right? So you have a scenario where you could be asked to opt-in to tracking or measurement or other things like that two to three times for a platform, for an app, for a service, for a website. That's confusing. Um, That's annoying. It's more likely to make people do irrational things like either default accepting everything or default denying everything, which means it's almost not a choice anymore on a a per app um, scenario. Uh, so that that's pretty interesting. I think one other thing that I'll I'll just jump back to on term in terms of uh, Apple's motivations as well is that you know look uh, Apple doesn't make money uh, when uh, an app publisher monetizes via apps, right? They don't get any of that revenue. Uh, they make fifteen to thirty percent on in-app purchases and subscriptions, right? So you do the math. I don't think that's a primary reason for the change, but it's definitely one of them. Yeah. So also sounds like if an app developer makes less on advertising, hopefully they can nudge some of those ad dollars into IAP dollars, which will accrue to Apple. It's part of the reasoning, it, it, it sounds like, right? Yeah. Yes. And of course, at, at this point of time, the deadline has been pushed out. Uh, there's been an extension. What do you think precipitated that? I think there's a number of reasons for that. One, and perhaps most important, is the ecosystem was not ready. Um, and, and, and I've talked to a lot of big developers, uh, big app publishers, and they're not ready. Uh, they haven't got all their ducks in a row. Uh, they won't be able to measure with SKAD network um, as of tomorrow or, or whenever iOS 14 finally drops. And so that's a challenge, right? Without a healthy ecosystem, Apple suffers, right? Without a healthy ecosystem on iOS, Android wins, right? So that, that's a big deal. I do think Facebook opting out is a, is a big scenario here. Uh, Facebook basically said, we're not going to play in Apple's sandbox as much as we can, right? We're not even going to try and ask for the IDFA. We're going to use our own tech, our own logins. We have an internal Facebook identifier for people. If we tie the IDFA to them, we're bound by Apple's rules. Now, of course, they're still an iOS app on an iPhone, right? So there's still platform rules for iOS apps that they have to follow. But I think they've got more wiggle room for what they want to do by opting out of that game. And, and so I think that was maybe a bit of a surprise to Apple, maybe a bit of a shock, and, and, and maybe something that, that, that takes Facebook's power back a little bit, even though in a sense they're just a client on the Apple platform there. Let's be clear. Let's be honest. There's a lot of power at play here, right? Uh, app developers have to do what Apple says, but when you're bigger, the rules change. Some can influence Apple, like we saw that with Basecamp, right? Recently with their email app. But Facebook is uh, quote unquote great power in big tech, right? Apple can't not have Facebook on their phone. Apple can't not have Instagram on the phone or Messenger or something like that. If, if you, you're a diehard Apple lover, fan, and you love iOS and you're embedded in the ecosystem, but there's no Facebook or there's no Instagram and no um, you know, Messenger, you're probably looking for alternatives. 
because you can't basically live your life without those tools if you're embedded in those tools. They might be important for your business. They might be important for your social life. That gives Facebook power, and I'm not sure that Apple anticipated Facebook just completely opting out of the game here. So I think that's a big reason. Uh, a third big reason, uh, potentially, uh, not, not as big as the others, SK Ad Network, there's time for a few more features. Um, Apple built SK Ad Network sort of in a back room with a small team. 1.0 came out in, in 2019, 2.0 just came out sometime before WWDC uh, in June. And, and there's a lot of features in there that, that show that at a at certain level, they don't necessarily understand ad tech, uh, which isn't shocking. It's not their main business. And, and so there's definitely some features that they could add there that could make the world better and still for at marketers, for at publishers, and still retain privacy. So maybe they'll be adding a few more things there. But I think the biggest thing is ecosystem wasn't ready. Yeah, certainly. And I think this was released a couple of months before uh, iOS 14 was due to come out that badly gave people to even just scramble and figure out what was going on. And I think it's definitely a relief for a lot of developers. Now to switch this and uh, look at a different aspect of all of this, which is Google and Android. So Google is subject to the same forces of PR and privacy pressures as Apple is, uh, or one could argue that could be slightly different forces at play. But where do you think Google might land with Android? Uh, because they have publicly, you know, personally identifiable information as well. It's a really good question. Uh, I think that they will eventually be forced to follow. You saw that with Chrome and the third-party cookie. I think there's GDPR influence here. They've been accused of not adequately following GDPR. And honestly, even the mobile marketing community, perhaps not in the US, uh, but certainly in Europe to some extent, is, is calling for it. Some people are saying, hey, Android, you know, Google has to be next. Android has to be next. But there's going to be significant differences here. Look, Apple has an ad network. Google is an ad network. They have to build solutions that still work for their ad network. I think personally that they'll probably do something around differential privacy and they'll probably group people into a thousand or 5,000 person cohorts or segments that can be targeted. You know, the reality is that every marketer wants granular data, but almost zero marketers use totally granular per user type data, right? So there's probably an in-between solution here that'll make the ad tech space a much safer one for, for privacy and, and still allow app publishers and app mar- mobile marketers to do what they need to do. And honestly, you could argue that if Google goes with some sort of differential privacy and putting people in 5,000 person buckets, and obscuring actual granular data, that could potentially increase their power. Uh, that could, because all of a sudden you have to go back to the well every time because um, you don't know who you, specifically who you're targeting. Certainly. And that differential privacy is definitely going to be more powerful than complete privacy, where you, you get some amount of performance as compared to where you have like no identifiable information whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. So uh, as of now, the privacy policy, the privacy changes are expected to kick in early 2021. We don't know when that is. What do you envision might change between now and then? 
I think we might see a few more SK Ad Network features. That would be very welcome, I think, by a lot of mobile marketers. Uh, I think we'll see a little bit more preparedness from app publishers. Uh, I think we'll see better uh, solutions from MMPs, more fully thought out, more like, hey, you know, install and forget. (laughs) Almost, not quite, uh, because there's going to be strategy around this, uh, especially with post-install data and other things like that. But the reality is some some app publishers are still going to be late. Uh, It's just the (laughs) reality of the world. Certainly, and there's certainly going to be a choppy transition period, at least in the short term after it kicks in where people scramble to adjust. What do you envision happening long term to advertising, to mobile apps, to the ecosystem? I I think there's huge impact here. Economists use the word a secular trend, right? And they just mean like it's a global phenomenon. It's 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 happening. It, it, it's 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 happening everywhere. I think the quote unquote secular trend here is towards privacy. And let's just be honest, this is the opposite trend that we've seen in ad tech, which has been to more and more tracking at a more and more granular level. Right. We've seen this sort of epic flow and ebb of the advertising world. And when advertising started out, we had no idea kind of what works, which ad works, who it connected to, all those sorts of things. Targeting was very, very broad. Um, you know, people started using coupons and codes to learn who was actually seeing their ads and acting on them. With digital advertising, we got tracking and tracing, right? We got the ability to look at all the various steps we thought in the customer journey, all the touch points and everything like that. We, we, we had these um, probably dreams <laughs> about seeing all the customer journey and influencing it at various stages and everything. That was always a bit of a fantasy, but even now, even more now so because third-party cookies are going away. We know that. IDFAs are going away. We know that to a large extent. And I think that, you know, Google ad IDs are going away probably as well. And so that means a bunch of things in terms of the entire world of of ad tech. And let's be honest, ads fuel much of the services that we use. Google is free because of ads. Facebook is free because of ads. Gmail is, is, is free. So many tools that we depend on on a daily basis are free because of ads. So this is going to be a major, major shift. One of the things in terms of advertising is that we'll have to go back to contextual for targeting, right? And, and that's interesting because that means kind of a flight to quality. So once upon a time, uh, back in the dim mists of digital marketing, if you wanted the Wall Street Journal audience, guess where you got it? On the Wall Street Journal website, right? Or in the actual Wall Street Journal paper. As, as, as we've been able to disaggregate audiences or maybe aggregate them from different sources, you could, you could uh, and you can today, get the Wall Street Journal audience when they play a, a hyper-casual game right? When they're in Angry Birds or something like that. And so you can go to some other non-related place and target the same people because they do different things because our lives are, are varied and we're in various places. Well, when you can't actually track people on a granular basis, then you don't really know who that is in Angry Birds or in some other hyper-casual game. So it's hard to assemble that high-quality audience in low-cost venues. So in other words, you've got a flight, you've got a flight to quality, and you're going to have to go back to maybe that Wall Street Journal type area in order to get that audience. And that means that 
measuring moves more to incrementality, right? And media mix model, uh, models and probabilistic, right? Where maybe you don't have device IDs. Uh, maybe you've only got spend data and you've got app data. You've got data of what's happening in your app and who comes in and when they come in, other things like that, right? And so we actually kind of have in that sense, something that's maybe somewhat closer to multi-touch attribution in some way, shape or form, although it's not granular and not per user or per customer. But it's also not just as what we have right now, which is last click, which we all know is kind of a joke, right? You know, who got their last click in and, and who, you know, which, which uh, shady ad networks got, got a last click in or cr- claimed credit for that last click, right? So, so that means an interesting change for advertising. Uh, for apps itself, themselves, then, you know, perhaps there, there's also a flight quality and, and, and a more uh, focus on monetizing on platform via in-app purchases via subscriptions other things like that guess what the sorts of things that apple gets a cut of the sorts of things that google gets a cut of as well um, and ad revenue maybe uh, moves more to the margins right where uh, you've got the the cheap uh, gets even cheaper on hyper casual and the expensive on on quality platforms gets even more expensive so i think those are some of the changes that we might see because this isn't just IDFA, right? We've had anti-tracking prevention, uh, third-party cookie prevention in Safari for some time now, other platforms as well. It's coming in Chrome, you know, so this is this secular trend that is shifting um, how ad tech, how marketing is going to work. And I think it's going to impact a lot of what we do. Certainly. And I like your phrasing about this being a secular trend. It's not an isolated incident this has been an overarching trend that's been impacting the entirety of the advertising industry and space. And it sounds like where we're going as an industry and space is back to where we were before digital media came along, really, uh, in very, very many ways. Uh, That's how we measure things prior to digital. Sounds like that's the sort of very aggregated, anonymized measurement and tracking that we're going to be headed towards in the future as well. Back to the future. Back to the future. Indeed, (laughs) indeed, indeed. Yeah. I think that's perhaps a good place for us to start to wrap up, John. Uh, You know, thank you so much for being on this keynote panel. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Shamantha, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. I hope everybody's getting some uh, good insight out of this. And I'm just getting a note from RMC that there is no time for Q&A. So guess what? I bet you Shamanth is available somewhere online. It, it's just a hint. Uh, I, I, I don't really know, but I'm guessing he's on Twitter or something like that. I know I'm on Twitter. So if you have yeah. other questions, other topics, other thoughts, uh, hit us up and uh, we'll answer as best we can. You guys yeah. did fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we look forward to seeing you at the rest of our conference. To the attendees, thank you for coming to this session. Um, and we will catch you at our next session, um, which will be ad fraud risks in the post iOS 14 era. All right. Meet you all there. Thank, thank you. you. guys. Thank you for listening to the mobile user acquisition show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.